Uh, so the reading is Psalm 46. It's on page 570 in your Bibles. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. reveals to us the Lord Jesus and your gospel of grace. We pray indeed for your Holy Spirit to wield his sword amongst us this morning. Help me to be clear and faithful. Open your word to us, we pray, and speak to us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I hope the uh, translation app works okay. Uh, I uh, have done some teaching in India where we have a translator. I I speak a little bit, he translates, I speak a bit more, he translates, but we're doing this and sometimes he'd stop and not say anything and I'd look at him and he'd look back as though to say, well, when you say something worth translating, I'll translate it. So, so if the app goes quiet, uh, you know why. Okay. Uh, psalm 46, it's a little psalm, but it packs a heck of a punch. I think it's, it's a wonderful psalm. Uh, There are so many themes and uh, references and connections that kind of flow into the psalm and out of the psalm from from the whole Bible, from before, all the way through to the New Testament. And um, if you're having a picnic tea instead of a picnic lunch, we might might be able to get through it all. Uh, But because we haven't got the time, uh, some things I'm leaving out, but hopefully uh, we'll we'll see some of the riches in it uh, this morning. Do turn to it, page 570, Psalm 46. Verse 4 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This psalm is about the city of God. In a couple of weeks' time, you'll be looking at Psalm 48, which has more to say on this. Verse 1, the city of our God, his holy mountain. It's, it's Zion, called Zion in the Bible. Uh, but the city of God is significant. Why? Well, it's because it's where the people of God live. It's really about the people of God. Uh, Psalm 87 tells us, glorious things are said of you, city of God. And uh, this psalm indeed tells us glorious and wonderful things about the city of God, about what it means to be a part of the people of God. I picked out four uh, things. Uh, God protects her. God is present to help her. He gives her spirit-filled joy. 
and he gives her a glorious future. He protects her, he's present to help her, he gives her spirit-filled joy, and he gives her a glorious future. Firstly, God protects her. Notice these verses. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. Verse 7, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And again repeated, verse 11, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Why or when do you need a refuge or a fortress? Well, only when you're under attack. Uh, You need a place of refuge when you're being pursued by enemies. You flee to somewhere to keep you safe. You need a fortress when you're threatened by an enemy that's assaulting you. And the psalm is telling us that God's people both need and have a refuge and a fortress, namely their God. And why is that needed? Well, because we live in a fallen world and we're engaged in a spiritual battle. We live in a fallen world and we're engaged in a spiritual battle. Look at verses 1 to 3. It's a picture here of creation in chaos. We live in a world since the fall that is out of sync. It's disordered. It's where things are not as they should be. A world where things just appear to happen randomly. Natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, droughts, famine, disease and pandemics... We live in a world where all that seems secure and ordered can suddenly be shaken and turned upside down and in which things can and do go wrong. The waters roar and foam. The mountains quake with their surging. We live in a world in which there is suffering, sickness, bereavement. And that induces in us great anxiety and fear because we realize, or when it dawns us, we realize that we're helpless. We're unable to protect ourselves and we're vulnerable to danger and to threat. And we cannot make ourselves immune from these things. These last three years have really served to to bring this home to us, haven't they? We've lived through a worldwide pandemic We've got war, uh, not too far from where we are, climate concerns, financial crisis. And then individually, many of you here have felt this. Uh, Life is just going along and then suddenly you can be hit with something out of the blue that just turns your life upside down. You get up one morning, everything's okay. By the end of the day, it feels like your life's in tatters. diagnosis from the doctors, news that comes out of the blue, a day that begins like any other, but by night time, everything has been turned on its head. And this is our world. It is a world of suffering, and we can't control it. No matter how we would try, we cannot protect and make ourselves immune from this reality. It's a fallen world. And secondly, verses 4 to 7, we're in danger from enemies. The nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. The nations are in uproar against what or against who? They're in uproar against God. It's a world in rebellion against God. And the focus of that rebellion then falls upon the people of God, upon the city of God. 
Remember those words of Jesus. I will build my church next breath and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. What's he telling us there? He says, I'm going to build my church, but you need to know that it's always being built in the midst of conflict. There is no other place to build my church but in the midst of conflict. Conflict and opposition, why? Because we have an enemy intent on our destruction. Sometimes it might have been literally an army encamped at the gates. It's quite possible Psalm 46 was written around the time of uh, Isaiah 37, 38, where uh, Jerusalem is under threat by the armies of Sennacherib, and you can read about it there. But we are in a spiritual battle, as Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. And that battle, this is the important thing to see, manifests itself in many different ways. It can involve, and does for some Christians, even as we meet today this morning, involve real physical persecution, even martyrdom. But it can be abuse, it can be ostracism, it can be cost and sacrifice that comes simply because you belong to Jesus Christ and are seeking to follow him. And to all this, the psalmist says, but God is our refuge and our strength. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that's a lovely phrase that's repeated twice. The God of Jacob as though to say, yes, he's an almighty God, but he's the God of this particular individual, Jacob. Out of millions of people, he knows Jacob. Out of millions of people, he knows you. He's your God. And he says, you're not unprotected. Actually, you're not insecure. Because your life is in his his hands, and he's your fortress, and he's your refuge. Your life is in his hands, and he will protect you, and your enemy will not triumph over you. That's what it means to be a part of the people of God, to live in the city of God. Secondly, God is present to help her. I love verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. Not missing for a moment. He's not a distant or absent, removed God. Very present, ever-present help in trouble. And again, repeated twice, the Lord Almighty is with us. Verse 7 and verse 11. It's the name, of course, given to Jesus, isn't it? You should call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This God is with us, ever-present help. Verse 5, God is within her. Again, it's not an abandoned city. He's there in her midst. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. He's present, not absent, close, not distant. Psalm 34 tells us that God is close to whom? To the brokenhearted. And so the psalmist says, because God is our ever-present help in trouble, notice the the implication, because God is our ever-present, therefore, verse 2, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though it seems as though the ground beneath our feet has been taken away, as though everything is falling down before our very eyes, we can know peace instead of fear, hope instead of despair. Why? Because God is with us. And our translation says, the Lord Almighty, verse 7 and again verse 11. Not just the Lord, 
the Almighty Lord. In fact, more literally, it reads the Lord of hosts, which can seem a bit strange to us, which I guess why it's being translated uh, the Lord Almighty. What exactly are these hosts that God is the Lord of? <laughs> the Lord of hosts. Oh, yeah, okay, what are hosts? Well, they're armies. It's the armies of heaven. In Matthew 26, if you remember when, when, when Jesus is, is betrayed and he's handed over to the authorities and his, his, his followers, maybe Peter, are about to get up the sword and start a fight and he, he tells his followers to put away their swords and he says, don't you think I can call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Listen, don't think for a minute I'm helpless here. I'm not the victim. If I wanted to, I could get out of this click of my finger. The armies of heaven would be here in a second and, and Pilate and the high priest would be gone. No, 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 no. Don't think I'm helpless. You have no idea of the power available to me. Or Elisha uh, in 2 Kings 6, lovely passage. Are you familiar with the passage where the king of Aram and his army surround this city, a city of Dothan, where Elisha is? And his servant looks out and he sees all around him this army of horses and chariots. And he cries, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, oh, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And you can imagine the servant kind of going, he sees this massive army. He goes, okay, well, there's me, uh, Elisha. Uh, how's that work exactly? Uh, and so Elisha says, Lord, would you show him? And the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he looks and he sees the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's reality. It's just you can't see it. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's got this, Elisha says. You can't see them. But there are more with you than there are with uh, those who are with them. That's why you need not fear. Psalm says this is true for you. If you live in the city of God, if you belong to the people of God. And so he says, so be still and know that I am God, verse 10. Preparing this, two, messages, uh, two passages came to mind here that capture what the psalmist is getting at here. Uh, one, if you remember, in the Old Testament, Israel has been slaves in Egypt. They're rescued through the Passover, and they're fleeing from, from Egypt. And then the Egyptian army comes chasing after them, and they end up as where, by the Red Sea. And they've got the Red Sea in front of them, trapped, and behind them, the chasing Again, horses and chariots and armies of Egypt. And they're terrified, and they cry out to Moses, what have you done to us? Bringing us out of Egypt, we told you to leave us alone. It was quite nice there, really. We had cucumbers. It was great. What are you doing? What does Moses say? Do you remember? He says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And God says, and the Egyptians will know, I am the Lord, not Pharaoh, me. What have you got to do? Nothing. Stand still. And watch. 
People of God, be still and know that your Lord is God and watch as he delivers you from your enemies. Don't fear your enemies. Don't panic. Be still and trust. And God will defeat your... You're not going to defeat your enemies. You can't defeat sickness and death and Satan and sin and guilt. That's Be still and watch him do it for you. Another passage came to mind in the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. If you remember there, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and a terrible storm comes up. Psalm 46, the waters roar and foam and and these disciples in the boat are terrified uh, because they're going to drown. And there's Jesus asleep in the boat. They wake him up, Lord, don't you care if we drown? (laughs) they wake him up not because they think he can do anything about it they just bothered that he doesn't seem to care the raging chaotic creation threatening to destroy them and Jesus is asleep so what does he do well you know in Mark he gets up he rebukes the wind and said to the waves be still the wind dies down and the waves stop and it's completely calm and the disciples are suddenly terrified at who it is in the boat. Who, who is this? Be still and know that I am the Lord. Are you, are you starting to get it, Peter? The Lord Almighty, Almighty is sovereign over the raging armies and the raging storm. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. He commands, be still and know that I am God. And Jesus says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? It's not often this word to us. It's not a, it's not a harsh word. It's a, what, why, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Don't you believe? Don't you know that I'm God? And isn't that just how it feels for us sometimes? Storms raging all around us. And it seems as though Jesus is asleep. And it seems as maybe Jesus doesn't care. But no, he's in the boat. God is in the midst. Jesus is in the boat. An ever-present help in time of trouble. But you need to know this. It's not just be still. Be still and know I'm God. Maybe it's the most important part of the psalm. Be still and know I am God. You see, when the enemy is at the gate... And when the storm is raging, at that moment, who do you really think is God? I'm not asking about your profession of faith. We can all say the creed, but who do you believe has got this in control? Where does the power seem to lie? Who or what seems to be in control? Is it the storm? Is it the enemy? The problem, the fear, the anxiety, the sin, the guilt, the sickness, death, Satan? Functionally, at that moment, Who or what has control over your heart? Not just be still and believe that God exists. Be still and know that God, your God, the almighty God, is God and he's got this. Look to him. Quieten your anxious, troubled heart as you look to him. Your refuge, your strength, your very ever-present help, your fortress. Thirdly, he gives spirit-filled joy. Look at verse 4. It's an extraordinary verse. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Why is it such an extraordinary verse? Because there is no river in Jerusalem. (laughs) How about that? There isn't a river in Jerusalem. Which tells us immediately he's not talking about a literal river. But something much more significant. And notice what this river does. It makes glad the city of God. Again, do you notice the implication? Without the river, the city's not glad. You see that? It's the river that makes glad the city. This is what fills the city, the people of God, with joy. This river. Charles Spurgeon once said, The road to sorrow has been well trodden. It's the regular sheep track to heaven, and all the flock of God have have had to pass along it. If you're a Christian, live long enough and you'll walk that path. Jesus was called, remember, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In Luke 12, he speaks of a baptism he has to undergo, meaning his death on the cross. And he says, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And as he draws nearer to the cross, the shadow of this looms ever larger over him until it falls with great power in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cries out, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And God's people living in a fallen world where stuff just happens and living in the midst of a spiritual battle with an enemy intent on our destruction know and experience suffering and sorrow. It's not the mark of not being a Christian. It's the mark of being a Christian. It's a characteristic of the Christian life. And many of you know this. And some of you have gone through such great trials and tribulations and some of you are going through them right now. Behind the smiles we wear as we walk through the door, there may be a heart that's breaking with sorrow. We walk into church with the appearance of well-being, but it's masking a long and lonely, tear-filled and sleepless night. But the psalmist says, "But, but there's this river, and its streams make glad the city of God. What's he referring to? The Holy Spirit. Again, Luke tells us in the midst of Jesus' anguish, Luke chapter 10, he says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. There's a a river making Jesus glad as he goes to the cross with all his sorrow weighing upon him. One day in this city, in John 7, Jesus stood up and cried out in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John says, by this, Jesus meant the Holy Spirit, who those who believed in him were later to receive. Streams of living water that flow to us from the cross of Christ. Words of an old hymn. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. So I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived. Now I live in him. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad there's a river whose streams make glad the broken-hearted people of God we don't cheer ourselves up we don't have to give ourselves pep talks or put on a stiff upper lip 
We just need to come to Jesus, hungry, thirsty, sad. And ask him again today, fill me afresh with your life-giving stream. For Romans 5, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And fourthly and finally, a glorious future. Look at verse 8 and 9. What do you make of that? Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. What do you think about that? Does he? Has he? Well, individual wars have stopped, but do we live in a world with no war? Well, not yet. Because God hasn't finished his work yet. This city, Zion, his people that he is building, he's building but not yet completed this work. Look at this little verse 5. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Hmm. At break of day. Why not God will help her in the long dark night? So many themes in this psalm, but have you ever noticed in Genesis 1, where we read of God's creating work over seven days, how each day begins? It begins at night and ends in the morning. Our days, we think, begin in the morning, end at night. But in Genesis 1, repeatedly, there was evening, there was morning, the second day. There was evening, there was morning, the third day. There was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Why? Why that way around? Evening, then morning. Because God has built into our creation order this pattern. Night, then day. Darkness, then light. Sleep, then wake up. Over and over and over until one glorious day. Sleep, then wake, and then never sleep again. Darkness, then light. And one day, never dark again. Death, then life, never to die again. We read in Psalm 30, weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And sometimes the night can seem to last very long and be very dark and filled with many tears. And again, that's what some of you are going through right now. But joy comes in the morning and the morning always comes. And one day, It will come and it will never end. And while it was still dark, just as the dawn was breaking, they discovered the empty tomb. The day is coming. It's beginning. God is with his people and he will help her at the break of day. It's a picture of the coming fullness of God's salvation for his people. That's coming and not yet here. The day when God's work is complete and when the city of God, the people of God, will be gloriously resplendent, living in a renewed creation with no raging waters and foam, no enemies at the gate, no warfare. Turn with me uh, as we close to, to the very end of the Bible, because again, Psalm 46 takes us there. Very last couple of chapters, chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. Uh, I think it's 1, 2, 4, 9 in the Bibles we've got in church. And there John sees where God's completed his work. And what does he see? A new heaven and a new earth. And, and what's in the midst of it? The holy city. It's the people of God. 
the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Beautiful. And where's God? Oh, God is with her. That's what marks her. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And he will be their God. And what is God doing? He wipes every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. No enemies. No storms. No suffering. No tears. And again verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, and it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Glorious, resplendent, dazzling. Do you, here's the thing. Do you realize you're reading about yourself when you read these verses? This is you in the future. Uh, Reuben used to have an app called Oldify. Uh, you take it, it takes your picture and then it shows you what you'll look like in 20 years' time. Uh, what's really sad is I don't look any different. Um, yeah, you're basically bald and wrinkly, bald and wrinkly. Um, but this is a picture of you, not in 20 years' time, this is a picture of you in your eternal future, you see. It's you. It is you. And the work is done and finished. And what else do we notice about this? Well, verse 25. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Darkness, gone forever. Morning has broken, the new day has begun, and it will never end. And what else do we see? Chapter 22, verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb into the city. And whenever we read in Revelation, of course, of the Lamb, it means Jesus, but it always means Jesus and him crucified, flowing from the throne of this sovereign God, the almighty God who was with us, and the cross of Jesus Christ who gave his life, who was without God, so that we would never be without God. Why have you forsaken me? Oh, the people of God are never forsaken because Jesus was. And flowing from this throne this life-giving, joy-giving river that makes glad the city of God. See, the psalmist says, come and see what the Lord has done, or come and behold the works of the Lord. He makes wars to cease. But you say, well, I can't see that yet. I can't see that. That's not the world I'm living in. The psalmist says, no, yeah, you can see that. You can see it in his word. And because it's God's word, you can believe it, and you can live in the light of it, and you can be sure of it. It's promised to you, you've just not yet experienced it. And this glorious future is yours. It's the glorious future of all those who dwell in, who belong to, who are citizens of Zion, the city of God. And so behold it in his word by faith until one day you're going to behold it by sight. No wonder Psalm 87 says, glorious things are spoken of you, city of God. It also says in Psalm 87, verse 5, Of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in here. The Lord will write in the register of the people, this one was born in Zion. Did you know a Christian has two birth certificates? I have one saying, born in Birkenhead. Uh, You can hardly imagine anything topping that, can you? What, What could be better than to be born in Birkenhead? The second one is better, because it says, born in Zion. 1978. That's when I became a Christian. 
Because for all those who were born in Zion, they're simply those who live in this city, citizens of the city of God, they're simply those who know and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, is that you? Because if it is, all these blessings are yours. If it's not yet you, are you thinking to yourself, well, all these blessings for those within God's city, for his people, but I'm I'm not sure if I really belong. I, I sometimes feel as though I'm on the outside. Here's the wonderful thing about this city. It's a fortress to protect it from its enemies, but its gates are wide open. How about that? Wide open to welcome anyone who would enter, and it's a refuge for anyone who would flee there. And Jesus stands in her midst and cries out, if anyone is thirsty, let him or her come to me and drink. And you might think, well, can I come and when should I come? If you were dying of thirst and somebody offered you water, would you say, that's great, I'll have a drink tomorrow? Well, you'd come. Here's Jesus holding out eternal life and says, come. The gates are open. Glorious things are spoken of you, Zion, city of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this wonderful psalm and the wonderful truths within it. We pray that you would impress upon us these truths uh, deeply into our hearts so they become living, felt, experiential realities to us, that we would, in the midst of the storm, be able to be still and to know that you, not the storm, our God. Grant us grace, we pray, to see the wonders and privileges that are ours in Jesus Christ, for we ask in his name. Amen.